Daniel's palms were sweating, and a sense of anxiety permeated his limbs. He knew something dire was happening as he and his father, Dr. Chamberlain, followed the Passamaquoddy chief through the tribe's camp. The Passamaquoddy avoided all outsiders, especially ones who married Passamaquoddy women. But today, the chief had sent for the doctor. He led them to a tent on the very edge of the camp, where he paused, looked at Dr. Chamberlain, and asked quietly, Do you think the boy should see this? Dr. Chamberlain nodded. Daniel will be fine. I might need an extra set of hands. But when the chief opened the flap of the tent, Daniel was anything but fine. Inside was a grisly scene. A Passamaquoddy warrior lay dead on the dirt floor. His body was bloated, his skin the color of a ripe plum. Blood ran out of his nose and ears, and a strange yellow liquid coated his lips. Dr. Chamberlain recoiled at the sight and stepped away, leaving Daniel with a full view of the body. The boy knew from the cases that he had seen with his father, this wasn't smallpox or even the Black Death. This was something much worse. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Tales, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Wednesday, we dive into the dark origins of another fairy tale. You can find all episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we're wading into the depths of the woman who loved a serpent who lived in a lake. This Passamaquoddy tale follows a boy who tries to find a home with a tribe, but instead discovers an evil disease. Coming up, Daniel tries to fit in with the Passamaquoddy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Of the Woman Who Loved a Serpent Who Lived in the Lake is a Native American folktale from the Passamaquoddy people, who primarily live in the northeastern region of the U.S., now known as Maine. The Passamaquoddy have a long tradition of oral storytelling, and Of the Woman Who Loved a Serpent stems from that tradition. However, starting in the 17th century, tribal oral history was under threat thanks to European colonists. Ancient patterns of community storytelling had been aggressively interrupted. Soon a movement to preserve indigenous traditions and stories sprang up across the U.S. One proponent was Charles Leland, a Princeton-educated scholar who transcribed the stories of the Passamaquoddy, the Penobscot Nation, and the Micmac in his 1884 collection, The Algonquin Legends of New England. Of all the stories that he wrote down, few were as provocative as of the woman who loved a serpent who lived in a lake. It was the tale of a beautiful woman and the mysterious trail of death that followed her wherever she went. 
Daniel tried to blockade the door of their home, but the man from the bank kicked it in. He barged inside, yelling at Daniel and his mother, Jane. This wasn't their home anymore, the man said. Daniel begged for him to understand. After Daniel's father died of influenza, his mother, a Passamaquoddy woman, had looked everywhere for work. Unfortunately, no one in the colonial towns of coastal Maine would hire her. Some shopkeepers concocted excuses. They weren't looking for help, or they had just found someone else. Other business owners were crueler. They spit on her or chased her away. Daniel and Jane were left without any way to pay their mortgage or buy food. And now, the bank was kicking them out of the house. Daniel stepped in front of the banker. We need more time. My mom can't find work. The man just shrugged. That's not my problem. Be out by the end of the day, or you're going to jail. When the man left, Daniel turned to his mother. What could they do? Jane sighed. There was only one place they could go. Later that day, Daniel pushed a cart containing their meager belongings into the Passamaquoddy camp. It had been nearly a year since he had been there with his father, and it looked mostly the same. The only difference was the dead man's tent was gone. In its place was a bare circle of earth. As Daniel and Jane arrived, a murmur spread through camp. Passamaquoddies came out to point and stare. Daniel noticed tears welling in his mother's eyes. He reached his arm around her. Don't worry, Mom. We're better off here than in town. Jane shook her head. It will be no different here. Daniel knew it wouldn't be easy with the tribe, but he hoped his mother's prediction would be wrong. Maybe he could fit in with the young Passamaquoddy men and learn to be one of them. That's not how things went. Even Jane's pessimism hadn't captured the full brunt of what mother and son faced in their first days back. They were treated like pariahs. They were forced to live on the outskirts of the settlement. If marauders, thieves, or wolves attacked, they would be the first to go. The tribe's hierarchy had always been arranged this way. The more important you were, the closer you were to the center of camp. The undesirables were pushed to the edges. And Daniel and his mother were undesirable for a very serious reason. Ever since Daniel and his father's visit a year earlier, more warriors had died of the strange, evil disease they'd witnessed, and the tribe worried that whatever it was, it stemmed from outsiders. They were concerned that the newcomers might be infected too. This suspicion did have its upsides for Daniel and his mother. At least no one actively bothered them. They were just left alone, completely alone. If Daniel did cross paths with any Passamaquoddies, they ran away. Daniel tried to respect this state of affairs. He went out of his way to dodge tribe members. He only fished on the lake early in the morning or late at night, so he didn't have to interact with anyone. But there was one person he desperately wanted to speak to, a young woman named Pidi Wamiska. The first time Daniel saw Pidi Wamiska, he couldn't take his eyes off her. She was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. She had long, silky hair the color of a newborn fawn, and her eyes sparkled like polished topaz. 
She seemed to have a unique radiance and playfulness. One way she set herself apart was, every night she swam in the lake. Frequently, while Daniel fished, he could hear her splashing and laughing in the distance. Daniel had heard from his mother that Petey Wamiska was married, but Daniel started to time his fishing trips to coincide with Petey Wamiska's swims. He hoped he might run into her on the sandy beach or on the trail to and from the water. He did, and after the first few encounters, she started to smile at him and even greet him with English words she had learned from local trappers. Then, one morning before dawn... Daniel was cleaning his catch on the trail to the lake, thinking about Petey Wamiska's eyes, when he heard someone coming down the trail. Whoever it was was skipping and whistling a tune. His heart started to flutter. And yes, when he looked up, he saw it was her. She was still wringing the water out of her long, dark hair. When she saw Daniel's fish, she smiled at him. Five trout? I don't think my husband has ever caught five. Daniel knew that Petey Wamiska's husband was the best fisherman in camp, a young warrior named Lola. He turned away to hide his blushing cheeks. Lola is a much better fisherman than me, he replied humbly. Petey Wamiska shook her head playfully. Trust me, if he ever caught five trout on one trip, he would never stop talking about it. I will tell him to take you fishing sometime. Daniel nodded eagerly. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Petey Wamiska smiled again and disappeared down the trail. Daniel knew the fishing trip with Lola would never happen. He was the strongest, bravest warrior of all. He wouldn't be caught dead with Daniel. But it was a lovely gesture all the same, and Petey Wamiska's smile was infectious. Daniel dropped his knife and danced around. For a brief moment, he imagined being married to a beautiful woman like Petey Wamiska. He wanted to hold her in his arms and kiss her. Daniel's daydream was interrupted by the sound of someone clearing their throat. When he turned around, he saw his mother, Jane. She wagged her finger at him. You shouldn't be talking to Petey Wamiska. She's a married woman, and Lola is a jealous man. We don't need any trouble. Daniel scowled, feeling like a naughty child caught stealing a treat. Defensively, he argued... You don't understand. She said Lola might take me fishing. This could help us. Jane sighed and shook her head at him. She's teasing you, and the last thing we need is for her husband to learn that you're flirting with her. He could kill her, or us. Daniel wanted to ask his mother why she even brought him to the camp if they'd always be outcasts, but he didn't have time. All of a sudden, a cry rang out across the camp. People started screaming. One voice in particular stood out above the rest. Daniel recognized it immediately. Petey Wamiska. It sounded like she was in trouble. Perhaps his mother was right. Perhaps Lola had discovered their flirting and was killing his wife. Daniel took off running toward the camp. He just hoped he wasn't too late. Coming up, the outcasts get a new companion.
Once upon a time, I thought I met Mr. Wright. The only problem, he was a huge liar. You were going out of your mind because you couldn't figure it out. I'm Abby Ellen. Join me as I tell the story of one con man who entangled his lovers, friends, co-workers, family, and me in an identity fraud scheme that stretched all the way to the Pentagon. Season 2 of Imposters, The Commander, a Spotify original from Parcast, premieres Monday, September 13th. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Daniel and his mother raced along the trail toward the camp. The screaming had intensified. When Daniel arrived, the tribe surrounded Pitiwamiska's tent in a chaotic mob. Women yelled, warriors pointed spears, children cried, and dogs barked. Daniel's imagination ran wild. He assumed Lola had confronted Pitiwamiska and killed her. While everyone was distracted, Daniel threaded his way through the tribe to see for himself. He held his breath, expecting to see Pidi Wamiska's dead body. Instead, he saw something he never expected. Pidi Wamiska emerged from the tent unscathed, but on the ground at her feet was Lola, her husband. Daniel couldn't believe his eyes. The warrior's body was bloated and purple. His jaw hung open in terror, and a yellow ring encrusted his mouth. He looked exactly like the dead body Daniel and his father had seen a year ago. As Daniel stood frozen in horror, the chief arrived and pushed him out of the way. A new argument arose. The warriors advanced on Pidiwamiska, their spears pointed at her. Daniel slipped out of the way and found his mother. What are they saying? Jane turned to him. This is her fifth husband to die, all of them the same way. They say she's a witch. They want to kill her. Daniel knew that wasn't possible. He spoke to her just a few moments before. She couldn't have killed Lola. She was with him. He saw her come back from the lake. As the warriors surrounded Pidiwamiska, the women built a bonfire. Jane explained that they were going to burn Pidiwamiska alive and this evil disease with her. Daniel grabbed his mother's arm. They had to do something, but she shook him off. This was none of their business. They were outsiders. Still, Daniel couldn't stand by and watch. All of a sudden, he stepped forward. She didn't do it. She's innocent, he screamed. All eyes turned toward Daniel. This was the first time many of them had heard him speak. Their scornful glares felt like hot coals burning his skin. The only person who looked kindly at him was Pidiwamiska. Her shining eyes seemed to thank him. Daniel pointed to his mother. Tell them she couldn't have killed Lola. She was at the lake. Jane reluctantly translated for him. After more arguing, the chief stepped forward. He made a booming proclamation. 
At that, the warriors slinked away to their tents. Pidi Wamiska hung her head. Her life might have been spared, but whatever the chief said hurt the young woman greatly. Soon, the crowd dispersed, leaving Daniel, Jane, and Pidi Wamiska. As they stood there, Pidi Wamiska stepped over and hugged him. You saved my life. For that, I thank you. But they have banished me from the center of the tribe. I must live on the outskirts, like you and your mother. Daniel's whole world stopped for a moment. He looked in her eyes and saw pure kindness. Plus, he had never been hugged by a woman except for his mom. It made his heart flutter. Daniel looked sheepishly at his mother. Jane, in response, crossed her arms across her chest. My son says you couldn't have killed Lola. Perhaps that's so, but why do all of your husbands continue to die? Pidi Wamiska held up her hands innocently. I do not know either. I have married warriors in hopes that we can have strong, brave offspring, children who can lead the Passamaquoddy. I only want to see our people thrive. I have sacrificed so much already, I would never harm anyone. Daniel watched his mother process Pidi Wamiska's words. He knew she had experienced the heartbreak of being labeled an outcast, both in the colonial village as well as with the tribe. After a moment, Jane reluctantly nodded. I guess we'll be neighbors then. Daniel grinned with relief. Even though it had been a tragic morning, he couldn't help but feel excited. Now he'd see Pidi Wamiska all the time, which would be heaven. As Pidi Wamiska packed up her belongings, though, Jane grabbed Daniel's arm. We will know soon enough if she's really dangerous. Even if she doesn't have bad intentions, she may be cursed. Be careful. Over the next week, Daniel helped Pidi Wamiska set up a tent near theirs. At first, Jane remained skeptical of their new companion, but she slowly warmed up to her. It was hard not to. Pidi Wamiska was quick to offer them her food, and she even mended Jane's torn coat. More importantly, none of them grew sick. It seemed that whatever disease had afflicted Lola and the other warriors wasn't because of Pidi Wamiska. So eventually, the three neighbors formed a makeshift family. Daniel was thrilled to be so close to Pidi Wamiska every day, and Jane appreciated having another person around. For the first time in over a year, Jane seemed to enjoy herself. She finally returned to laughing and making jokes. Pidi Wamiska and Jane taught Daniel the Passamaquoddy language, and he started to learn about his ancestors. Daniel, meanwhile, got better and better at fishing and was able to provide for the trio. He barely thought about being an outcast, and for the first time in a long time, he felt truly happy. He liked his tiny, self-contained community, and with each day, he grew closer and closer to Pidi Wamiska. She was the most generous and caring person he'd ever met. Eventually, he realized he loved her. One night, as the trio ate dinner around their campfire, Daniel turned to Pidi Wamiska. His hands trembled and his voice stuck in his throat, but after a moment, he looked into her sparkling eyes. Will you marry me? He asked. T 
Tears welled in Petey Wamiska's eyes and a smile spread across her face. She wrapped her arms around him and kissed his cheek. Of course I will. Much to Daniel's surprise, the tribe's chief agreed to bless the marriage. Apparently, he didn't mind if two outcasts got married, as long as they stayed out of the camp. The wedding was a simple affair. Jane decorated Petey Wamiska's hair with flowers, and Daniel wore his best shirt. After the ceremony, he retrieved his belongings from Jane's tent and moved with Petey Wamiska to the other side of the lake. That way, the newlyweds could start their life together in total privacy. After setting up their camp, Daniel laid down next to his wife. Her sparkling eyes and warm embrace told him everything he needed to know. He was home. The sense of peace didn't last long, though. In the middle of the night, Daniel awoke with a strange feeling. He turned over in bed and realized that he was alone. Petey Wamiska was gone. He called out for his wife, but there was no answer. Fearing that something had happened to her, Daniel dressed and raced out of the tent. Daniel immediately breathed a sigh of relief. Sitting by the embers of their campfire was Petey Wamiska. She was wrapped in a blanket, drinking a cup of tea. Daniel noticed that her hair was dripping wet. Daniel stepped over to her, a frantic look in his eyes. You scared me. Where did you go? Petey Wamiska sipped her tea calmly. For my nightly swim, you've seen me go hundreds of times. She was right. He had witnessed her swim more times than he could count, but something about it caught him off guard. Maybe it was because they were married now. After a moment, though, Daniel realized he had probably overreacted. There was nothing to be concerned about. He sat down next to her and hugged her. As Petey Wamiska refilled her cup of tea, though... Something caught Daniel's eye. On the rim of the wooden container was a strange residue, the color of pollen. Daniel recognized it immediately. It was the same consistency and color that he had seen around the lips of the dead warriors. As Daniel's mind reeled, Petey Wamiska turned to him and grinned. You have nothing to worry about, my love. Give me a kiss. And that's when Daniel knew his wife was trying to poison him. Coming up, Daniel discovers the truth about Petey Wamiska. Now back to the story. Daniel fell backwards off the log and landed with a thud. Petey Wamiska reached over to help him up. Are you all right, my love? What happened? Daniel's heart raced. He had to think fast. I, I don't feel too well. I, I must be catching a cold. Petey Wamiska looked at him concerned. If you're sick, you should have some tea. Here. She offered him the cup with the yellow residue. Daniel politely waved it off. He told her he would be fine. He just needed to rest. Petey Wamiska nodded understandingly. She told him while he rested, she would dry off and get dressed in the tent. With his wife gone, Daniel stood up and paced by the fire. Had he been a fool this whole time? Maybe the tribe had been right. 
Petey Wamiska had poisoned her husband's. But if the yellow substance was deadly, why would it be on her own cup? Certainly she wouldn't try to kill herself. And if she was exposed to whatever it was, why didn't she die? Daniel's head spun, trying to make sense of it all. One thing he knew for sure, he had to get away from her. He needed to clear his head to think, but mostly he needed to survive. He stepped over to the tent and grabbed his fishing gear. Honey, I'm going fishing. Maybe that will help clear my head. Petey Wamiska's voice chimed sweetly from inside. Are you sure? You should come rest. But Daniel didn't wait to answer. He raced down the trail to the lake. Down on the water, Daniel did his best to think through what was happening. Perhaps there was a rational explanation, an innocent one. As the day wore on, he began to wonder if he had overreacted. Maybe the darkness and shadows had played tricks on his eyes. Perhaps he hadn't actually seen the yellow residue. It may have been the reflection of the fire on the cup. Besides, Petey Wamiska was his wife. He should have just asked her about it. She was a good person. He had witnessed her happiness and kindness on many occasions. There's no way she could have tried to harm him or her other husbands. When Daniel finally made his mind up, it was nighttime. He realized Petey Wamiska was probably concerned about him. He decided he should pack up and head back to their tent. They could sort everything out together. As he reeled in his fishing line, however, something caught his eye. Out in the middle of the lake, the water began to bubble. Ripples spread across the lake. A giant black spine, like the keel of a long, dark canoe, rose in the middle of it. Then he saw something that made him quiver in fear. The head of a giant serpent. It had dark onyx scales, and on the top of its head was a crown of white hair. But even more terrifying were its fangs, which were as long as stalks of corn. After a moment, the beast started to race toward the far shore. Daniel realized it was heading toward his home and the Passamaquoddy camp. He pulled out a knife and took off along the sandy beach. If he was able to flank it from the side, he might be able to kill it, or at least slow it down before it attacked anyone. As Daniel prepared himself for the ambush, however, he noticed that the serpent changed course. It wasn't heading toward camp anymore. It was heading to a closer beach. But then something stopped Daniel in his tracks. He realized that standing on that beach was someone he recognized, Petey Wamiska. She waded into the dark water completely naked. Daniel realized she must be there for her nightly swim. He was about to scream at her to run when he noticed that Petey Wamiska saw the beast coming. In fact, she reached out toward it. A moment later, the serpent rose from the water in front of Petey Wamiska. Instead of being afraid, she embraced it. Daniel's blood ran cold. What was happening? He watched as the monster wrapped its body around her. As they seemed to dance together, 
its fangs dripped a yellow, viscous liquid onto her head and face. The serpent must be the source of the poison. As his wife continued to cavort with the serpent, something else started to happen. The monster shrank in size. At first, Daniel thought his eyes were playing tricks on him. Perhaps it was the effect of the moonlight on the water. But there was no mistaking it. The serpent diminished in size until it was the same height as Pidiwamiska. Two arms sprouted out of the side of its body, and its huge diamond-shaped skull transformed into the head of a man with long white hair. Pidiwamiska combed her hands through his pale locks and kissed him on the mouth. When Daniel saw that, he turned away. He couldn't watch any more of his wife's betrayal. He turned and fled back to his tent. Later that night, Daniel sat by the fire, waiting for Pidi Wamiska. He didn't know what he would say to her, but he would confront her nonetheless. As the pale light of dawn peeked through the treetops, he heard someone coming down the path. It must be Pidi Wamiska, but it didn't sound like her usual playful steps. When she came into view, she was stumbling down the trail. Her clothing was disheveled like she had dressed in a hurry. Daniel noticed that her eyes were bloodshot and her skin was starting to bruise. Even more troubling, a familiar yellow sheen coated her lips. Hello, my love, she said. Though Daniel barely recognized her voice, it sounded rough and flinty, like her throat was constricting. Daniel didn't have time to answer. All of a sudden, Pidi Wamiska collapsed to her knees as if her legs had given out. She screamed out in pain. Blood started to trickle from her nose and the corners of her eyes. She reached for Daniel. Help me! Daniel wanted to run to her. Even after everything that had happened, he still loved her. But his feet remained rooted to the ground. He shook his head solemnly at her. If I had kissed you yesterday, I would be dead. I can't touch you. Pidi Wamiska reached out for him again, but then her eyes seemed to lose their sparkle. She fell forward, face first into the dirt. Daniel scrambled over to her, but he stopped a few feet away. He didn't know how deadly the poison was. If he touched her, he might die too. He looked at her one last time and fled in the opposite direction. For a while, Daniel raced aimlessly through the forest. He didn't know where to go or what to do. He had just witnessed his wife die in front of him. As the sun started to shine brightly through the trees, though, he stumbled onto his mother's camp. Jane was awake, cooking breakfast and tea. She looked up from her fire and noticed Daniel coming down the path with tears in his eyes. What happened? Daniel ran to his mother and embraced her. He told her everything that had happened, from the yellow substance on Pidi Wamiska's cup to her encounter with the serpent in the lake. And then, of course, he described her painful death. Jane inspected him all over. You didn't touch any of it, did you? After she was certain he was uncontaminated, she hugged him again. She shook her head, disappointed in herself. I should have known. I should have protected you. She sat Daniel by her fire and explained. 
She had heard about this serpent when she was younger. There was a tribal healer with long white hair. He didn't respect the bonds of marriage and had seduced multiple married women. One night, a group of warriors tied the old man with rope and threw him into the lake. Even as he drowned, he laughed and said he would get his revenge. When Jane was finished with the story, Daniel looked at her. I guess the old man was right. He found a way to kill them all. Daniel stood up from the log and struck off toward the main camp. Jane called after him. Where are you going? Daniel looked back at her. I have to warn the others. He wasn't sure if they would believe him, but he had to try. It was his solemn duty as a Passamaquoddy. Many consider of the woman who loved a serpent who lived in a lake as an allegory for a smallpox outbreak. It was a warning to Passamaquoddies to be on the lookout for sick people and quarantine them immediately. Unfortunately, it wasn't just smallpox that decimated the Passamaquoddies. It was colonialism, war, and a concerted American effort to wipe out the tribal way of life. The Passamaquoddy managed to survive the onslaught, albeit in far diminished numbers. Their language has survived too, but today there are around 500 native Passamaquoddy speakers left. The colonists wreaked plenty of damage, and the impact is ongoing. Whether or not of the woman who loved a serpent originally warned the Passamaquoddy about smallpox, it can easily be seen as a warning about other kinds of danger too. Danger that's violent and swift, and danger that acts like poison, slowly dripping through the veins of a community and causing sickness that's as sure as the serpent's evil death. Unfortunately, while some diseases are viral, sometimes they're human. Thanks for listening to Tales. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new and exciting story. You can find more episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. If you enjoy listening to Tales, you'll love my other podcast, Mythology. Mythology retells our oldest stories as an engaging audio drama. Every Tuesday, join me and a cast of voice actors as we dramatize the enduring legends that have shaped human culture since the very beginning. Join me next week for another dark and surprising fairy tale. Tales is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Tales was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Adam De Silva and Nora Battelle. Fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 